welcome to another episode of SITM Podcast. I'm your host, Uncle AK. Man, we're just going to get right into it. Um, today, man, I'm one of my guys, man. But let me be professional. Let me be professional. Let me not act like, you know, let me say one of my guys. Let me be professional. He is the founder of Babylon Law LLC, an immigration law firm. Practice limited to federal immigration law. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Babylon Terrence my immigration lawyer to stuck in the podcast. Welcome, bro, to stuck in the podcast. Thank you very much, brother. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. I know we've been talking about having this episode for a minute, you know what I mean? So um, not to take up much of your time. You know, I know you are very busy, man. I'll be following your Instagram. You know, follow your Instagram. <laughs> follow your Instagram. No what we'll discuss. But I take up much of your time, you know. Um, right. On stuck in middle, man, like, uh, we hear a lot about as an African, you know, lawyer, doctor, engineer, disgrace the family, you just fit right into that, you know, into that mix. Like you, you, you picked one of them. Like you didn't even, you didn't even look outside of the box. Maybe you wow. did, maybe you did not. I don't know, but we'll, you know, we'll uncover that. My question to you is your, was this your picking or was this, you know, your parents picking, you know what I mean? Talk to us about that. You know, that, that, that is an interesting question, but again, one, once more, thank you for having me. Um, but yeah, that, that question is very interesting. And I don't know if my example is going to be the best example, um, because I just so happen to be from a family of three kids. Uh, my oldest brother is an engineer. My sister's a doctor and well, I'm a lawyer. Look so, at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, again, like I said, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's my example is the great, greatest one, but, um, um it was my pick uh, like i pretty much decided to be an attorney um and believe it or not it came out of a movie i literally i can remember walking into to my dad watching a movie in the living room and i don't know what movie it is i keep saying it's the firm um with tom cruise um i'm not sure if it was but i remember there was just the one scene with a guy sitting leaning on a black lincoln or a car like that and then um his driver comes up to him with like a coffee and a newspaper and um, opens a door for him. He gets in and sits down. And I remember asking my dad, I was like, "What does he do?" And my dad was like, "He's an he's a he's a lawyer." You know, obviously, I didn't I didn't know the difference between a lawyer and an attorney back then. Mm -hmm. But my dad was like, "He's a lawyer." And so from that day, I was just like, "Yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer." You know, I just kept saying it, and I guess I said it long enough to the point that I actually started believing it. And then, um, well, yeah, we are. So, but it was it was it was my pick, even though I come from a traditional or not a traditional that's not the word more like a, i come from a, a you know a family that created a, an engineer a doctor and a lawyer right 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 i mean me i personally like to say the traditional african route because you know what i mean if you're not <laughs> if you're not in that mix man you're you you're disgraced with family or or yet now <laughs> that you know the they are opening more to the arts you know music right. art you know um painting all these different things but you did say something very interesting there which i myself you know, without you saying that, I'll probably sit in here still thinking that it's the same thing. What is the difference between a lawyer and an attorney? Oh, okay. So a lawyer is just somebody who went to law school. Somebody who, you know, who went to law school is a lawyer. But mm -hmm. to be an attorney, you need to be barred in a certain, you know, you need to be barred in a jurisdiction, which means you need to have taken the bar and passed the bar and be admitted to the bar. So that's the difference between a lawyer and an attorney. So I have many lawyers who are not attorneys, but every attorney I know is a lawyer. Oh, okay. 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 Gotcha. And you are an attorney. I'm an attorney. Yes, man. Listen, I have a question somewhere down for this one, but before that, <laughs> a lot of people probably say, who is this guy, man? Who is Babylon Terrence, man? For those who do not know, who are you? Um, so, um, I'm originally from Cameroon, as you know, um, uh, I went to school there, then went to school in South Africa as well. Uh, moved here in 2015. Um, I, I, uh, took the bar in 2016 and, uh, got admitted to the New York, uh, uh bar, uh, New York state, uh, in, uh, 2017, actually September 13th. I'm, I'm rounding up an anniversary around, I have an anniversary on the corner, oh, but yeah. Right, um, right. so I, 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 I used to live in Douala. I just, I hail from humble, humble beginnings, I would say, um, and still very humble <laughs> at this point. Uh, but you know, uh. Uh, I mean, that's just my background. You know, I, I just, I, I love what I do. Obviously, uh, I enjoy it so much. I think that if I wasn't into law, I probably would have been into something something more um, artistic, you know, like mm. uh, 
uh, I want to say music, but I tried that for a little bit. It didn't work out too well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's just me. You know, I just uh, I enjoy having a good time. You know, obviously enjoy reading um, quite a bit, even though I, I don't think I read anything outside of law books nowadays. But, you know, I mean, this is just my general passions. I mean, why would you when you have, you know, a lot of cases, you know, right in front of you? How would you leave that to go read something else? <laughs> I mean, I mean, to be fair, to be fair, you know, uh, uh the practice is, is is not really something that you can you can i guess dissociate reading from right you know like you in everything that we do we just read tons and tons of documents right so yeah and obviously you know it's it's something which we have to do but to be able to find time to do the other reading like i used to enjoy reading literature growing up i was i was actually very good in literature um i used to enjoy all of that stuff enjoy um screenplay and all that stuff but now i just can't i just don't have to, you know the the, the bandwidth for yeah. any of that yeah so i, I just bet, man. on my you always you always you always taking flights here there you know trying to solve this there trying to solve that there i'm like right in a nutshell you know i mean where do you have time to even go and sit and be you know popping these bottles but anyways let's not let's not say too much <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen man there's so many different practices right right in, in law uh, you mm -hmm. could you could have been a criminal lawyer could have been you know uh, a marriage lawyer or a divorce lawyer rather but you pick immigration law why what was your perp what what was your why oh man that is a very interesting question now to be honest i never ever saw myself practicing immigration law um until i got into immigration problems myself and i kind of like had to wiggle my way out around it and um so in 20, like I said I, earlier, I took the bar in 2016. Now, what I didn't say is at the time I took the bar, having just left Cameroon um, and applied for asylum in the United States, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have papers at all. Like I had nothing. I, had, I didn't even have a, a US driver's license, which I could use. And I just happened to have lost my passport a couple of months prior. So um, I, I, I was in a position where I had to reach out to the bar association and, and ask them basically, if they, they could carve out an exemption for me to not show the actual ID, which obviously they, they said no to, um, but they were able to, to reach some kind of compromise with me when I told them that I couldn't essentially apply for a new passport because I had fled my country and I had applied for asylum. Um, and so I couldn't apply for a passport for my country because that would be considered um, availing yourself of the protections of your home country, even after having applied for asylum. So that would make my, uh, it would complicate things for me. So. Once I told them that, um, they were like, um, if you have an expired passport, you know, um, and, and and a valid driver's license, be it from Cameroon or South Africa, we will take that. So fortunately, I happened to to, to have had a, an expired passport all the way in South Africa. <laughs> and so I had a friend send it over to me. And now the friend sent it to me on Thursday, on Friday, sorry, and the bar was on Tuesday. So he had to send like rush straight to my hotel and I had to, you know, pick it all up and, and rush things. And, you know, basically long story short, I ended up taking the bar with mm -hmm. that expired passport and, uh, and the, the, the valid uh, driver's license uh, from Cameroon. But um, going through all of that just made me see, just made me realize that immigrants in this country actually face a myriad of problems. And I just kind of like wanted to situate myself to be, you know, to be able to, to assist as many people as you know as I could, many people who had been through or who were going through the same thing as I was. So I guess it's my personal experience coming from South Africa, where I used to be more in uh, corporate law, that type of space. Even here, I did you know dabble a little bit into compliance. I worked at you know a bunch of financial institutions, including Morgan Stanley. Um, but you know, uh, immigration law was just kind of like something that I always wanted to go back to because of that personal experience which I had I had, I had um, gone through and just wanting to make sure that I could uh, do better for a lot of uh, uh, other people, especially the people who, who like me, needed the same help, but who can't afford the help. Right, man. Um, that's wonderful, bro. Like I can, I can see, you know, the charity part of it, but yeah, at the same time, you know, the monetary side of it, you know, you just clash both of them <laughs> together, you know what right. I mean? Right. Um, I didn't have this question down, but as we we're speaking, it just came to mind, right? Uh, in the past, even now, there are other immigration lawyers out there that really abuse their position, right? Mm -hmm. And they either charge too much or they have this crazy different ways of payments, you know, or whatnot, right? You've probably been exposed to that, you know, um, before even thinking of, you know, um, uh, I'm taking the bar or what have you. Um, could you speak a little bit about, not just say snitch or anything, but like some, you know, some examples that you've seen in the past that 
um, you yourself, you you know, you're taking strikes to correct, to fix today? Ah, oh, man, that's an interesting one. So um, I've, I've obviously, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity um, to meet a lot of people who have suffered um, some kind of immigration fraud, usually um, not necessarily always from lawyers. There's some people who position themselves kind of like lawyers to help people complete forms and stuff. And then they charge them way too much money, you know, um, to just complete an asylum form, for instance, to charge them like 3500 And then they come to me, you know, and then um, they want me to represent them in court. And then, you know, when I ask for a comparable figure or more, then they, they tend to be like, oh, no, but I already paid this guy so much money. And, you know, it's, it's just now I don't I don't feel like I have to I should have to pay again. And I feel so bad about those types of uh, situations. And obviously, I try my best to help them, you know, um, um, while without necessarily starving myself, because obviously I have bills to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I don't know what it is that spurs people to do that. But I think that um, um, you have to be a special type of evil to take advantage of a vulnerable person. Yeah, yeah, man, I agree, man. Um, and these times, you know, when <laughs> you see a lot of people, you know, taking vacations, you know, or, or, or buying fancy, you know, cars and stuff is is that time when, you know, people will take advantage, you know, of, of, of people in, you know, in vulnerable, you know, states and such. But I do want to ask you this, too. Um, even practicing immigration law, you know, again, there are other, you know, types of law. Can you practice both at the same time? What are the and if you can, what are the perks of that and what are the other disadvantages of that? Okay, so that's that's also an interesting question. Um, so I'm licensed in the state of New York and mm-hmm. I live in the state of Maryland, right? So um, as of right now in the state of Maryland, I can only practice immigration law. Now, why is that? Well, because of something you said at the start, that his practice is limited to federal immigration law. That's because immigration law is con- controlled by the federal government, mm-hmm. not the states. So as a licensed attorney in one state, I can practice immigration law in all the states, right? So that versatility and given the fact that there's a lot of need for it in the community is the reason that I chose to practice immigration law. Now, obviously, the moment I become licensed in the state of Maryland, I can then choose to to practice other areas. Now, we spoke about this earlier. One area I would never, ever practice personally is family. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I just because, you know, it's very, uh, I just feel like it's very heavy on the heart. Mm-hmm. Regression is heavy enough. I just wouldn't add that to it. Um, but um, uh, in the state of New York, I can practice outside of immigration. I can practice all, uh, criminal or well, essentially um, whatever I am qualified in. And, you know, I feel comfortable to be able to defend a client in. Man, that's, that's pretty dope. That's why y'all people make so much money, man. Jeez. <laughs> hey, listen, if you if you're looking for a secretary, man, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm right here. You know, I don't. You know, I mean, I would I would consider it, but I don't think I can afford you. So, <laughs> hey, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, man. You spoke earlier about you know the bar, and you know when I hear people talking about the bar, it sounds so prestigious, man. Like it's like yo, it's like you've arrived. Talk to us about that, like when you took it going into it um after it you know waiting for your results and stuff like that i mean i know i know you'd be sense man you know you, you, you had no problem with that but you know just talk to us about that and 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 think about somebody who is either thinking of becoming a lawyer or they in that process of it right and they're thinking yo man this thing is really hard like tell us your you know what made you stick to it what made you say yo you know i'm gonna finish this and i'm you know really boss up on this Right. Now, the first thing I have to say is just to dispel the notion that the bar is hard. The bar is not hard. The bar is, the bar is, you know, it could be, it could be complicated, you know, um, especially if you don't prepare, it will get even worse, you know, um, but generally the bar, I wouldn't say it's hard. I would say you just need to be adequately prepared for the bar. Now, I learned that I could take the, 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 the bar in New York City, in New York State, sorry, I learned that about 2013. I just kept it at the back of my mind. So obviously when I um, I moved to the United States. Um, I decided to start taking, um, to start, you know, uh, preparing for the bar. Um, I would say it took me about, um, and I don't know if my example is very good to go off of, but I, it took me about four months to prepare for the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it helped that I wasn't working at the time. I couldn't work. And so, you know, it was the only thing that I did. But I also have to say the last two months of those four months was me thinking I wasn't going to be able to sit the bar because I had lost my passport, right? Because I didn't have 
you know, paperwork. So I think that really complicated the process a little uh, for me uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I just, I wasn't feeling motivated <clears throat> because I just felt like, you know, there could be a, a chance that I wouldn't be, even be able to sit the bar even if I prepared for it as, as, as best as I could. So I was very worried about that. Um, you know, obviously it was a very difficult time, but um, I was still able to prepare and um, and I took the bar just once. And I took the very first uh, uh, the very first uniform bar uh, exam in New York. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say that even after just four months of preparation and uh, that's of intensive preparation, obviously, and, uh, and uh, with the cloud of not being able to take the bar over my head, I was still able to have the passing score for all 30 states at the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, uh, and with and then some so that's not to say that i am special i'm not i'm wholly foreign educated i don't have a single day of u.s education i literally started studying with a bar by going to george washington university and um you know just asking around other kids who are studying with a bar hey can i use that book when you're not using that one can i use that book when you know before my sister was able to buy me my books so i mean that's how i started like you know that's how i started you know preparing for the bar so wait, so, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're not just going speak your way past like you need, you, you didn't just say you didn't do a single day of education in the US, but then you were able to pass your bar. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me ask you this. How long does it take to become a lawyer? How many years? Um. So for, I know in the state of New York, you have to, have, you know, had legal studies for at least four years, right? You know, so at least four years of legal studies, um, which in America does the equivalent of a JD, right? Mm -hmm. So a Juris Doctor, you know. Um, but I I had an LLB from Boya, which was three years, mm -hmm. right? Um, so with three years in Boya and then two master's degrees from South Africa, uh, two master's degrees in law, I was able to take the bar because that was over four years of, of legal education. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and having graduated from the University of Cape Town, which is... Well, I guess I only found that out when I got here, right? <laughs> Having graduated from the University of Cape Town, which is largely considered the best university in Africa, I was able to take the bar without taking any other examinations or any other LLMs or master programs mm -hmm. or whatever in the United States. So I was just able to just, you know, um, go straight to it. Um, now, th that's not to say if you didn't graduate from that school, you can, you know, pretty much come from any other school. It's just that from that one, it was, it was a lot more easy uh, for me. Yeah. Does that mentality that um, if you go study outside the United States, you can't bring the degree and use in the United States? What say you to that? I mean, it is largely true. It is largely true, I would say, because, I mean, especially like if we're talking about legal studies in, in particular, um, it is very hard for you to, 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 to get a, a job with a law firm in the United States if you are wholly foreign educated. I mean, that, that is part of the reason why I'm solo, right? That's part mm -hmm. of the reason why I decided to build my business and, and, and do my thing. Um, but, um, I mean, I would say there's a lot of truth to that. And so I would say anybody who's interested in studying law um, probably wants to give that a lot of consideration. And, as, and it's not just about going to law school in the U.S. as well. It's also about the quality of the law school that you go to, especially depending on the types of jobs that you want to get. So I would say that's something which anybody who really is bent on having, um, let's say you want to be working one of the top law firms, you need to make sure that you go to one of the top law schools. Otherwise, your dreams of working for one of these top law firms is not going to come to fruition. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's an unfortunate reality. Um, but uh, I mean, that's not to say that you can't come from a foreign um, 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 program and then land a good job. You can, um, but you know, the chances of that happening are slim. I wouldn't say slim to none. They're just slim, very slim. slim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into, you know, your very first case, being a black man in America and a lawyer, that has that been advantageous or has it had its ups and downs for you? Speak a little bit about that. Um, I've had uh, I've had I've had mixed reactions to it, right? You know, it's like um, just being a black man and then being a young black man who looks like this, you know, mm -hmm. it's just not it's not been very um, and obviously having an accent as well, you know. So fanboy, no pimple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of that stuff, you know, it's kind of like it's, it's it's affected me in different ways. But I would say I would say considering I've never spent a single day as a white man or a Hispanic man. Um, 
I'm not I'm not sure what their reality is like, but I can say that um, my experience um, would probably be the same as every other black man that there is. You know, every other black immigration, not just immigration attorney, or well, at least most black attorneys, especially the ones who are immigrants. Um, you know, sometimes you know when you sit in certain rooms and then you talk about yourself as an attorney, you command a degree of respect. Um, other times, you know, um, um, you command a little bit of, uh, a lot of people question you, a lot of people question, like, are you sure you're an attorney? I've had that. I've had that a lot. I've had that from white folks as well as black folks, you know, oh. um, and a lot of Cameroonians too, you know, surprisingly, even when I'm out there trying to offer my free legal services, people try to, um, verify whether I'm an attorney. So it's, don't it's, clear you and stuff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and especially if they're older and then they see you, you, you look as young as I do, I guess more or less, <laughs> you know, they try, to, they try to make it seem like your your, your contributions are not uh, significant enough or not worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I say to that is my work speaks for itself. Period. Listen, let's just move on to the next. Talk to <laughs> us about your very first case, man. You know, did you, did you, did you, you know, unfasten your, you know, your tie because it was too hot? Like, what was it <laughs> like, you know, your very first case? It was it was terrifying. It was terrifying. So the very first time I appeared in court was before um, a, a judge at the Baltimore Immigration Court. I'm not gonna name 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 names, but um, he just so happened to to to, to be black, right? So um, it was it was my very first appearance, and I think he he was also licensed in New York, or he is still licensed in New York. I'm not sure, but um, the, the the you know the very first time I appeared. Um, I obviously had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, I like, I mean, I mean, it's not like I had no idea what I was doing. I, like, I knew what I was doing, but at the same time, you know, it was my first time actually doing it by myself, right? So, you know, I was sweating. I was, I was just, I, everything was just wrong. Like, I was drenched up, and you know, I was in this suit, you know, in the blue suit. I'll never, I'll never forget. And he, he, he starts asking me these questions, and then you know, he, he's uh, very known for like using all the, like he. He, he just gives you like this citations or sections, you know, just mm-hmm. like section this, 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 of this. And I'm like, I was like, okay, so which one is that? What does that <laughs> section, you know, like, so that was me the whole time. And, you know, obviously I, I, I just, I was just sweating throughout. I was, I was panicking. I was stammering the whole time. And I remember um, him asking me a couple of questions and I didn't know the answer to them. And he was like, well, you should know that counsel. And I was like, oh crap. Like, oh, what did I get myself into? But at the end of the hearing, he said the sweetest thing ever. Like at the end, when I was about to, you know, stand up, um, you know, when it says case adjourned, you know, I was about to stand up and he goes, he was at counsel um, off the record. And he's like, just so you know, um, I can tell that you're a new attorney and I can tell, is this your first time? And I was like, yes, you know, it's my first time. And he was like, just so you know, I think you handled yourself well. It's like I think you kept your composure, and I, you know, I can't wait to have you appear before me again so I can assess, you know, how you're doing. Your and I promise you, every single time that I had to appear before that same immigration judge, I was on my A game. I was confident, and I was able to deliver because you know that little that little vote, especially coming from a black man, you know, it really it really uh, built some some amount of excitement in me. And it made me think, you know, it made me realize that even though I didn't get what I was doing at that time, if I just focused on my, you know, just focused on what I was doing, I was, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to hone my craft and just excel at what I do. And I've taken those words very seriously. And to, to this day, every time I appear before him, um, it's been, it's been sometimes contentious, but it's been great. You know, it's, it's always, uh, he always reminds me every time, he, every chance he gets, he reminds me of that first day. Yeah. That goes back to, you know, us saying that you don't really have time reading all the books, man. You have to, you know, be reading everything law to be on your, you know, right. your A game. Yeah. Right. Man, all this is all great and all, but the greatest part is being able to take your gift and really make the most out of it. For example, Babylon Law LLC. What is that about? What made you start that? Um, um, man, you know, like they say, the, the, the five whys, right? Just just give us <laughs> um i mean i i started my firm basically because i mean i i i really love the practice of immigration law, right i really enjoy it 
you know i i love being able to assist people who like me left perilous conditions in cameroon you know um to be able to immigrate to the united states and not just cameroonians but you know i love meeting people of different cultures now i have a background as an as, as, as an english teacher when i lived in south africa i used to teach english to uh, people from different other cultures as well mm-hmm. so i've always loved working with people from diverse backgrounds right i've always loved working with people from you know different works of life and um when when i was considering when i was thinking about this um this was in 2020 um and i'm going to give a shout out to my sister uh nina uh for for her support you know she basically is the one who talked me into the doing what i'm doing right now she was like hey because the thing is at the time i was working at morgan stanley mm-hmm. and i was doing a lot of pro bono i actually was pro bono um i was a volunteer of the year uh twice i believe um and it, it was just you know it was she was like, you enjoy doing this thing and, you know, you volunteer a lot, but, you know, you know, you could make money off of it as well and just do it on a daily basis. And, um, and I guess it took me a while. It took the pandemic actually hitting for me to realize that um, I could, I could start my own thing by myself. And I guess what my concern was originally was if I get into the practice of immigration law on a full-time basis, I don't have the, the, the notoriety that will be needed for me to be able to, to sustain myself um on on just that business right so um when we go into covid and you know we're working from home and we had a little more time a little more flexibility um you know then i obviously had to look into the idea because now i had a little more time i was at home a little more and so in march of 2020 i decided to 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 start the practice mm-hmm. and I, I i i did that side by side with my other job for a while until i finally decided to to quit and then you know um just just focus on this and so I guess to you to your question, what actually drove me to immigration law to starting my practice is that desire to uh, to do better. To go back to your point earlier, some people just overcharge and underwork, underperform. You know, and um, it's my goal to to I guess apply the same amount of diligence to every single case that I apply to my own case. Um, it's my goal to make sure that anybody who was forced to flee from their country is never forced to return to their country. It's my goal to make sure that um, people who come into my door, even if they can't afford my services, I give them something that will make them better. Like I just have to give them something because I think it is my belief and um, and I, I still, I, I would love to be proven wrong. I think that the people who are most deserving of our help usually cannot afford our help. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, but like you, dropping a lot of germs right now I'm like <laughs> before i go to my next question um can you please just tell you know the people watching one um just plug in you know how they can get in contact with you uh, your social handles you know um emails phone numbers you know all that good stuff how can they you know get in contact with you all right, so I'm in the process of rebuilding my website. So that would have been my very first one, but it will be back up soon. That will be babilalaw.com. Uh, my email, um, I mean, until that website is back up, uh, my email will be babila.junior, spelled out. So B A B I L A dot J U N I O R at gmail.com. Uh, and my direct phone number will be 240 879 six five two three that's my uh business phone number i have it right here this little phone <laughs> and uh you know obviously i'm always there you know always able to 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 um to take calls and you know if i miss a call i usually i'm good enough about responding to it um yeah. um uh as, as as soon as i can uh but yeah that's how you can reach me oh instagram obviously i'm i'm active on instagram but i i generally tell my 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 followers not my followers, I tell my clients not to follow me on, on, on social media because I, I tell them, hey, listen, if you come to my social media, you're going to have to realize that my social media is my social media, which means I will be the lawyer, I will be the turn up king, I will be the fashion guy, I'll be the whatever I need to be. That's my personality and that's just how it is. I'm never yeah. going to change for anybody else. But my business's um, 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 social media, my law firm's social media is also at Babila Law. Uh, my personal social media is at Babila Terence. That's not the U.S. Terence, it's a U.K. Terence with one R. So that's T-E-R-E-N-C-E. So, um, I mean, yeah, connect with me. I would love to chat with you. And, uh, 
if you have a if you have an immigration issue, I would recommend connecting <laughs> to my uh, business profile, of course. Yeah. Man, listen, mine is on AK. You know, the the the, the, the US one is one L. The UK one, <laughs> the UK one is one L two. <laughs> but you live a, every day. I'm learning something new, man. But anyways, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Listen, um, I've been, you know, I was talking your social media a little bit. You know, what I mean, and you know, you keep typing TPS, temporary protection status, TPS, TPS. And I'm like, man, what? What's TPS, man? What the hell is this thing about? Like, please break it down for us. What is TPS? Uh, what countries are involved in this? Um, you know what? Just please just tell us first of all what TPS is. Okay, so um, TPS stands for Temporary Protected Status, and I and I hope I did a good job explaining it on social media. If I didn't, well, yeah, here we go. So TPS stands for Temporary Protected Status. It's a non-immigrant status that is usually granted to um, certain nationals of certain countries which are usually going through, um, I would say like a, 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 maybe sometimes an economic uh, or humanitarian uh, disaster of sorts, um, um, uh, which then allows the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security to designate that country for temporary protective status. So what that means is nationals from that country who can um, comply to certain rules, right? You know, in their designation, the secretary would usually state, hey, they should have been here by this date and they should still be here, right? So nationals of that country who meet um, 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 those, um, 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 uh, I guess, rules or who meets uh, the requirements are usually are able to then apply for TPS. So TPS usually would last for about 18 months and mm-hmm. it gets redesignated every, um, before its expiration. So you would either, the, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security would either redesignate six months prior to, to the expiration date or would announce that, hey, the designation of TPS for this country will no longer, um, uh, 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 like this will be the final designation. So usually that's how it works. So as of right now, I think, um, and I could be wrong, but I think there are 15 countries which are designated for TPS. Mm -hmm. In Africa, we have Somalia, we have, uh, um, I wanna say South Sudan and then Cameroon in in Africa, but you know, the other countries, Afghanistan, uh, Yemen, Honduras, Haiti, El Salvador, you know, Mm -hmm. Venezuela, you know, these are all countries which have been designated for TPS. So that's, that's what TPS is. It's it's a temporary status. It doesn't, uh, well, it doesn't technically have a pathway to a green card or citizenship, um, you know, uh, but uh, it's usually for 18 months at a time, it gives you a right to, uh, to, to stay in the United States. So if you are in temporary protected status, you cannot be forcibly removed from the United States or detained from for an immigration violation. Mm-hmm. And you can also get a work permit, which obviously will come with a social security card, all that kind of stuff, which is very vital to the community. And um, you can also get a travel document, which will allow you to be able to leave the country. As you know, many undocumented immigrants um, have never, got, many of them have not been able to leave the country for several right. years due to the fear of uh of, of not being able to return if they left so yeah so it's a very it's a very it's a very huge win and i would just like to shout out um, the cameroon advocacy network group um they are the ones who won cps i mean i know i'm associated with them now but i wasn't always so i wasn't part of the i, I wasn't a large part of the advocacy for cps by any means um mm-hmm. those guys were and they did an excellent job and now it's it's the pleasure of my lifetime honestly to be able to assist them to complete as many TPS applications as possible. I promised myself I was going to do a hundred of them for my birthday. I'm very close to that mark. My birthday has passed, but um, yeah, I'm still very close to that mark um, um, to, to hit my pro bono goal. Oh, wow, man. Kudos to you, man. You're doing, you, I mean, you're doing something good for the community and at the same time still making your, you know, your bread, you know what I mean? So there's no other combination really, if you think about it. <laughs> you know, there's really not a combination you know you're doing what you love and you're making money off of it um what are some downsides to this to tps yeah i mean no well just to you know being a lawyer i mean it's all you know it's all oh, okay. it's, it's all good and all but i mean there are days when you're just like oh, i don't want to do this shit man like oh man oh, i don't feel like it you know what i mean like talk to us about those days you know those days that you just feel like yo this thing is draining or you know tp is draining like and how yeah, 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 that's downtime like that right there, honestly, that's a downside. It's because like, um, I think when you do something like immigration because you love it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to get so emotionally involved in every single case. Um, I, I'll just give you a personal case without obviously you know mentioning any names, but I lost the case in November of 2020. And to this day, I still have sweats sometimes at night. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and just think about it. So when CPS was actually granted for Cameroon, um, um, and mind you, I didn't even do the primary case. I just helped them do the appeal. And, and, and obviously it wasn't successful. Uh, but when CPS was granted for Cameroon, that was the very first person that I called, that person whose case I lost, because all of a sudden now I had a way to, 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 to help them out, to give them, you know, something in this mm-hmm. country to, to, you know, so I reached out to them and I connected with them that same day. And we got the application prepared, completed, you know, it was mailed out the next day, you know, and, um, and. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I was happy to pay for the application myself because I just felt like I, like I owed them. So that's the, that's the, that's the downside of this. You know, it's like, if you, especially if you're putting, putting your heart to it, um, you know, if, if it doesn't go well, it really, it really messes me up for a couple of days, months. In this case, you know, over here, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it, it is very emotionally draining. Um, but I can tell you this, the wins, oh, they make it all worth it. They make it all worth it. When you turn around and call and then you look at that family or you look at your client who's sitting next to you and you think about their children who are back home, you know, you're just like, wow, you know, or you think about, you just even, even the smallest things like helping people apply for their work permits and then they get their work permits. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, oh, the person goes like, oh, I cannot wait to, you know, to be able to support my family back home. You know, if I don't know if you know this, but one of the largest sources of, of money back home in Cameroon is, um, is foreign remittances, you know, from the United States as well as other countries. But the United States takes the, the, the cake in terms of, of how much of that money is, 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 is supporting our people back home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just being able to give somebody, to help somebody get their work permit. And then, you know, you hear them say, oh man, I will spoil them, I'll bless them, you know. Man, that that it makes up for all the bad times. I'll tell you that much. Man, listen, man. I remember the very first time I hold, I, you know, I held uh, a work permit. You don't understand, man. The joy is different. You know, the joy, <laughs> the joy is, different. is different. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, to you. the joy is different. You know, and then to 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 even go forward to like a green card and you know your uh, naturalization and all that stuff is different. You know, what I mean, yeah. some people will not understand that, of course. You know, but to those who you know go through that process, it's a big deal. You know, um. And just, just not to cut you short, but um, I started helping people become citizens and have green cards before I ever got mine. So it was, it was like I was seeing people experiencing joy that I was hoping to experience someday. Yeah. It was just so <laughs> fulfilling. You know, it was, it was still fulfilling. I was like, there were some days when I go like, you know what? Even if they were to deport me from this country right now, I did my job, man. Yeah. Like, I did something. You know, I kept you know a family together. I did something, and so I mean, the joy is different, man. It you know, it really, it really is very rewarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could, I, I could imagine. You know, I mean, walking into a function and there's just that family that you or a couple of families you help them. Like, oh yeah, that's that guy. You know, yeah, I mean? that's yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you wouldn't believe how many times it happens, man. Like every time I go to like one of these, um, one of these are uh, a little uh, food places, you know, around, especially here in Maryland, man. I, I, the moment I, I get there, usually to take my order to go or whatever, um, I would have somebody oh, put, give me a beer, me a drink some wine, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, coming from where we come from, it's just very, um, you, you know, you can't really say no to drinks, especially if it's coming from an, an other. So I usually just be like, hey, can we, can I take it to go? Because I still yeah. have a, a drive in front of me. But, you know, fortunately, people are usually respectful of that. And so it's, it's, it's great. But man, I, I tell you, it is. It is so it's so rewarding, especially when the families come and then they bring the whole family to come say hi. Man, I promise you, that's the best. You see little cute kids and yeah. I love kids, so it's just yeah. You know, what I mean, it's, it's it's not just work anymore. You become a mentor too. It's like, hey, man, exactly. you know, work hard because you know. Yeah, exactly. definitely. Um, do you think immigrate? Um, do you think the immigration process is going to tighten up some more or loosen up some? Ah, you know what? I think immigration is one of the most divisive subjects in the country right now, right? And you have, you know, people on one hand who don't want any immigration whatsoever, and then the people on the other hand who, you know, are more open to immigration. And then you have a lot of people in the middle who are like, hey, we can get immigrants here, but 
can't we have like some kind of you know a merit-based system you know as opposed to a lot of people make a lot of talk make a lot of noise about the lottery um and they're like oh yeah we need something that's going to contribute um to the, to the economy that's going to turn the economy around um in terms of what i think uh, or what i hope uh, is going to happen in the immigration space over the next couple of years i honestly think it's going to tighten up some um and that's because you know i just think that the rhetoric around immigration law is getting more and more uh vitriolic like it's just it's not it, it's not very very much of it is not um is not genuine is not true is not you know they're just throwing a whole lot of of, of crap in it basically excuse my french uh but it's uh i mean i i think that that is a disservice essentially they're fear-mongering um you know um and i think that it's 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 taking a toll on people it's having an effect on the on the on the voting population in particular so i think that invariably we're going to move towards a a, a less immigrant friendly direction now that 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 said i would say that the current administration has has honestly um alleviated some of the concerns that were meted by the past administration um even though i think that they have been um I'd say uh, prevented from being as effective as they probably would have been, you know, by obviously the deadlock in Congress, as well as the fact that, um, uh, as well as the fact that the COVID, as you know, has affected all all walks of life. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think I think that um, it, it, it will get worse, but hopefully, um, um, we somehow come back to to remember that this is a nation of immigrants. You know, this is built by immigrants. This whole country. Um, is made up of immigrants and uh you know we can go back to you know those little words written on the stat statue of liberty you know um um i don't know exactly what they are i probably <laughs> should give me my line of work but yeah i think it's something along the effects of give me your tired yeah yeah, give me those people. yeah. so i think um uh, you know i i hope that 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 we we don't move towards a, a completely uh uh, merit-based immigration system because honestly i think while i think that that's good i think we have something like that already mm -hmm. i think that the lottery for instance is the only way by which you get regular folks to be able to to, to come to the united states because if you think about it the rich folks they have all the h1bs and all the fancy visas that they can they can they can use to come here but regular folks who are unskilled um who maybe just have a high school degree or high school diploma or whatever many of them would not be able to come to the united states if we went to that strict um you know uh i guess skills based um, 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 um uh, uh way of entry right 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 man let's go back a little bit to um uh the temporary protection status right, right. um i know there's a i believe there's a lot of you know um faqs that you know come your way on a daily basis right That's what are some of those um uh, frequently asked questions that you like you know, to answer, you know, while I got you here, you know, and stuck with a podcast, man, like, you know, drop some things, drop some things. Right, right, right. So it's always, it's always weird when I get to ask my own questions and answer them, but, <laughs> but I would, I would, I would, I would give you some of the ones that I've actually gotten. Let me think. I think the one that I get the most is, um, is from, from, uh, people who ask, um, so I've applied for asylum. Can I still apply for TPS? Is it going to affect my asylum case? Now, I get that question a lot, almost every day, I would say. And my answer to that question is generally no. And I'll explain exactly why I say generally no. Now, if you apply for asylum, there are two ways by which you can do it, right? Um, sometimes you have to do both. Other times you do one and then um, you do only just one. So you can apply for asylum either in the immigration court or you can apply for asylum before the USCIS office. Mm -hmm. Now, where you can apply for asylum will depend on how you entered the country, right? So if you entered the country and you were paroled, which means you got into a plane and you know you had a visa and everything, you would usually apply for asylum by applying to USCIS, right? But if you enter the country through, through, through the southern border, the northern border, however, you know, without, uh, without valid documents or whatever the case, you would have to apply for asylum in immigration courts right because you replace into removal proceedings and then you apply for asylum in immigration court so if you enter through the southern border and you're in immigration court and you want to apply for tps 
If your question is, will it affect my case? The answer is an emphatic no. It would not affect your case. Now, why would it not affect your case? Well, because the issue of your removability can still be determined whether or not you have TPS. Mind you, TPS is temporary protected status. So if you, let's say you appeared in immigration court and you had an asylum matter, and then um, the judge finds that you're ineligible for asylum and you have TPS, guess what happens? They cannot remove you from the United States. You would have to stay in the United States until your TPS elapses. And then at that point, they'll be able to effect your removal from the United States, right? So if you have TPS and you're in immigration court, your hearing can still go along. And then at the end, the judge can just say, okay, fine, I'm ordering you removed from the United States. But, you know, you have your TPS right now. So, you know, we're just going to hold on. We're just yeah. going to wait until <clears throat> when this expires and then you have to leave, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that. Now, if you're in, if you're still at USCIS, because usually what happens is when you apply, let's say you flew into the country, you were paroled into the country, you apply USCIS, USCIS says no, they transfer it to immigration court, right? Okay. So if you're still at USCIS level and you apply for TPS and you're granted TPS, and then you're called in for your USCIS interview, and then during that interview, the officer finds that you're not eligible for um, um, for uh, asylum, yes, yes, the part that it comes to, yes, it can affect your case. In that case, because you are in valid TPS status, the officer cannot send your case to court because you are in valid status. So the officer would wait until set time when your status, your TPS status, you know, lapses for you to be able to, for, for them to be able to send the case over to the immigration court. So it would affect your case in that, in case, obviously, you know, you, let's say you had your family back home and you're willing to have them come over here, you want to get your asylum case done and all that. Obviously, you know, if you get denied at the USCIS office and your family's in danger back home, you would rather have the case sent to the immigration court quickly so that, you know, hopefully the court disagrees with the officer and grants you asylum, mm -hmm. right? And then you, you know, you can start moving your family over here. So that's how it could affect you in case, because in that case, they would not send your case to court. They'll hold it off until TPS is, is, is until TPS lapses. And then at which point then they would um, um, send it off to, to, uh, to the immigration court. So that is the, the little technicality. Mm -hmm. But I would say in general, if you're in immigration court already, um, you know, it would not affect applying for TPS would not affect um, your status because that's the beautiful, that's the, the, I would say the beauty of the American immigration law system. Um, you can literally be a TPS recipi recipient who is also an asylum applicant, who is also married to a U.S. citizen who has filed for him and who is working for a company, you know, such as Stock in the Middle. Uh, that has filed for them and is giving them an employer-based green card you can all those things can be happening at the same time so there's no fear over whatsoever just you know trust the process and you know just follow it right and obviously if you're the more complicated your situation is you obviously want to talk to an experienced immigration attorney mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. man um Last question, last question, <laughs> <laughs> last question, last question, but I'm not going to keep you for the past, you know, uh, our mark. What are some key things that, okay. There's some people out there, you know, like we all know, you know, who probably did not go to law school or who are not, you know, our attorney and, you know, just, you know, practicing just because they think that, you know, they know all because of the money, right? Mm -hmm. What are some things that, you know, people can look for when talking to an attorney, you know, or a lawyer what are some key things that people should absolutely look out for you know some no-nos like you know you see that run away right so you want to you you want to start by asking them you know if they're licensed you want to ask them you know where their license is you know if you could see their license you want to ask them um you know uh i mean you want to ask them you know, if they've done this before, you know, um, what their experience is. And you also want to look up, um, you know, usually you want to talk to other people who maybe they've represented, mm -hmm. you know, if you know any of such people, you know, you, you want to ask them what their experience was 
The one thing I would say is there's a lot of notarial fraud, which is uh, fraud by people who are notary publics, who kind of like, um, because they help people with legal documents on a daily basis, they they almost masquerade themselves as lawyers who can assist you with any petitions or whatever. Um, now, that's not to say everybody who is a notary public is, is you know, is, is, is a fraud of sorts. Um, but I would generally say if you're looking for a legal service, you want to find a lawyer. If you're looking for a medical service, you want to find a doctor. You're not going to be looking for a medical service and you go find, you know, a person who's not a doctor, right? You know, so it's like for the same thing, you're not going to want a legal service and you go find a non-lawyer. So you want to start by asking them, where are you licensed? You know, and then ask, okay, what is your bar number? And then go to that state, look them up by their bar number, look them up by their names and see if you can find their information, see if you can find how long they've been licensed. All that, all of that um, um, information is public information. You can find that online. Um, so you want to you wanna be on the lookout for that. You want to make sure that you're verifying the credentials of anybody you're talking to. And also you, you have to, you have to, I mean, you have to read, man. You just have to read because a lot of that, let's say I'll see a lot of asylum forms from so many, or so many people come to me and be like, hey, this guy helped me file for asylum. And then, um, you know, and uh, he did a terrible job. And I'll just example you. I'm not sure whether you'll be able to see it. But this is an asylum form right here. Mm -hmm. This is at the bottom of the asylum form. There's a place that says prepare information. If you're, if anybody's assisting you with any application and he doesn't complete that prepare information, that person is pro most likely a scammer because that is the part that says that, Hey, I prepared this application for this person. And so I am knowledgeable enough to be able to, to prepare this application. So usually all those fraudulent people, they never complete that part because they don't want there to be any way whereby the, the USAS or whoever can look for them, uh, you know, can try to pin it on them. Be like, hey, you did this, you made this mistake, you made this error, not the client, whatever the case may be. So if, 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 if somebody is assisting you to prepare any immigration form, anybody who is not your, uh, 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 who's not yourself, who's not your spouse, who's not your parents, who's not your child, they have to complete the prepare um, portion of the form. If your preparer is not completing that portion of the form, they are most likely a scammer. Yeah. Man, listen, stay away from, you know, the scammers. So there's already enough <laughs> for your credit card, uh, you know, your address and everything. Don't come and get scam or immigration status too. Yeah, because that, that's messed up, man. That could Messed literally... up all the way, man. All the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> man, we've covered a lot. You've dropped a lot of knowledge. Last question. I know I said that was the last, but it's definitely the last one. Is there anything that, you know, we haven't touched on that you would like for the, you know, the viewers and the um, listeners to um, know? Um, I would just want to go back uh, to CPS. I just want to go back to CPS real quick and just... Um, advice especially um, um this now i'm talking directly to the cameroonians to the cameroonians please 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 listen to me and not just me but listen to people who are knowledgeable on the subject do not take my legal knowledge and compare it to what you heard from that neighbor who just always stays in his apartment or who you always meet at that drinking spot it's not the same thing just like you would never go to a pharmacist and then the pharmacist tells you what medications to take and how to take them. And then you go and you compare that to the person in the cate. You know, that's just not how it works. So please get informed on something. If you don't, if you want to know what CPS is, please reach out to me, reach out to somebody, have them explain to you what CPS is. Schedule a consultation before you just do not apply. Because as you all know, um, you have to apply for CPS before um, the, the cutoff date, the, you know, um, is, is going to be December 7, 2023. Um, you know, you have to make sure your application is in. That's the initial registration period. You have to make sure your application is in before then. You know, um, you don't want to be filing a late CPS application. And to be eligible for CPS, these are the requirements. You must be a citizen or national of Cameroon right? You must have been in the United States on or before April 14th, 2022. And you must have continuously resided in the United States from June 7th, 
2022. So what does that mean? That means if you're an F1 student and you are on, you have your valid F1 status, but you meet those other requirements. And then now, you know, you want to be able to travel to whichever country, let's say Switzerland or Bahamas or whatever, and you've applied for TPS, you could run afoul of that continuous residence application, uh, sorry, continuous residence requirement if you left the country. So you want to apply for advanced parole before you leave to say, hey, I'm still residing in the United States because you could lose your eligibility for TPS by just leaving the country and coming back. Because when you leave, you're no longer continuously resident since June 7th, even though you were here before April 14th. It's not as easy as just submitting another application. The requirements are that you should be continuously resident. And how do you show your eligibility? I'm just gonna drop this free stuff there. How do you show your eligibility? If you came in through an airplane, please go on the I-94 website, put in your last name as it appears on your passport, put in your first name as it appears on your passport, put in your date of birth, obviously as it appears on your passport, and I hope that's correct. Put in your passport number and hit search, download your I-94. That is what is going to show that you were here before April 14, 2022. And then the second requirement is that you have to show continuous residence since June 7, 2022, right? So how do you show that? Obviously, if you're in this country and you don't have a social security number, guess what? You probably don't have a bank account. You probably don't have a lease that's in your name. You probably don't have a driver's license. You probably don't have uh, uh, insurance. All these things that you'll be able to show that you have been residing in the United States. So what do you do? Go to your church, talk to your pastor, ask them to write a little letter, say, hey, he has been worshiping with us since so-and-so year. Go to your landlord, go to your cousin, go to your brother, ask them to write a letter, say, hey, he has been, you know, um, um, he, lived with, he has lived with us for X period of time. Look for any tickets that you ever bought to travel to any other place, be it by bus or whatever. As long as your name and the date is on that document, you can use it to show that you're continuously residing in the United States. Look for your COVID vaccination card. Look for pictures of you that are dated, that have a date at the bottom. You know, sometimes you use also our cameras that has a little date. Use for dated pictures. If you had a picture of you holding a, a newspaper with a date on it, look for that picture too. Just prove that you have been continuously resident in the United States in addition to having been year from april 14 and please please if you're eligible for tps if you're not a u.s citizen a u.s national uh or a green card holder and you're originally from cameroon please 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 apply for tps before the cutoff day that's it yes sir and you don't need a lawyer to apply for tps too you can apply online but you know um if you do feel like you didn't need a lawyer there's me and there's several other lawyers that will be happy to assist you as well yeah man second pair of ice when i hurt and definitely, you know, people who have walked the walk and are doing the doing will do it better than you. You know what I mean? But not to say that you cannot do it by yourself. I'm just saying, right. you know, you get better results once you get the, you know, the experts in it. Um, man, please plug in your social handles again for those who did not get it the first time. Um, so, yeah, at, uh, on Instagram, it will be at Babila Terrence. That's B-A-B-I-L-A-T-E-R-E-N-C-E. On Facebook will be Babila Terrence. Um, uh, the, the business is obviously at Babila Law, B-A-B-I-L-A-L-A-W on both Instagram as well as Facebook. Obviously, I'm most active on those, um, but I also can be reached on WhatsApp for the business will be my 240-879-6523. That's the business's uh, line, and it's also available for chats on WhatsApp. But if you connect to either the Instagram profile for the business, you can always, there's a link there to WhatsApp to just start chatting immediately to set up a consultation or to ask about the next pro bono session. Mm -hmm. um, I always encourage people to reach out to me regardless of whether, you know, they can afford me or not. Um, if I just can't do them pro bono, um, do their work pro bono, I usually am good with giving them some kind of information that can assist them yeah. as well. That's how networking begins, man. You know, somebody knows somebody that you don't know that knows somebody that you don't know. 
And then, you know, <laughs> you find yourself talking to somebody that you didn't know that you know now. But anyways, man, I appreciate your time, bro. This Thank was, you. you know, great knowledge. And um, I'm definitely going to be talking to you again on this platform. Next time, I hope that, you know, we'll have some callers call in, you know, plug in the machine, have some callers call in, ask some questions live, you know, and, you know, you get to chat it up, you know, with, you know, some guests. We could coordinate that. Uh, we could talk talk about that offline. So um, let me stop talking, man. He's the founder of Babylon Law LLC, an immigration law firm practice limited to federal immigration law and other things. You know, I mean, just hit him up. You never know, man. He might probably, you know, throw your bone. Never know. I'm telling you, man. Close mouths don't get fed. You would not know till you ask. So it's not, I mean, no, take, I mean, you, you know, you don't got to pay him a dollar, you know, just say, hey, can I consult? He can tell you no. He can tell you yes. Right. But he's not going to charge you a dollar just for that initial talk. So, you know, what are you waiting for? Bro, I appreciate your time. Um, let's do this again. You know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this episode. Thank you, brother. Cheers. I'm Uncle AK, my guest, Babylon Terrence, my lawyer, my immigration lawyer. Shout out, you know, hit him up. Shout out to you too. Keep doing your thing, man. Keep shining. Keep flourishing. More wins to you. More wins to you, brother. This is SITM Podcast, and we are out. Mm -hmm.